Hello from ABA Tech Show 2019 in Chicago, Illinois. I'm Kelly Street. I'm Steve Pushes. I'm Judy Selvey. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. Thank you so much for joining us on the road. It's a pleasure to be here in the city where they have amazing tacos. Today, we're talking about GDPR and trending laws related to GDPR. So, as we said a second ago, I am joined by Steve and Judy, who gave the presentation today, and super excited to ask all about GDPR. I know a little bit about this topic myself, but I am wondering, First, if you can give our listeners just a kind of overview about yourselves and your backgrounds, and then we'll dive into GDPR. Well, I'm the general counsel of Hinshaw and Culbertson. Uh, I've represented lawyers and law firms for a number of years. And uh, before that, I was uh, defending other types of clients. I was a trial attorney. And prior to that, I was a prosecutor in the Cook County State's Attorney's Office. And I'm the uh, principal of my own consulting company that focuses on uh, compliance with uh, cyber privacy regulations, new regulatory exposures, and insurance coverage for emerging technology exposures as well. Prior to that, I was a practicing attorney for 25 years, handling big litigations. I founded my law firm's e-discovery and technology practice, as well as its information governance practice. Wonderful. So because I did not give the full entire name of your presentation today, can you remind our listeners what the presentation was called and then just kind of a little bit about what you talked about today? Yeah, it was called uh, Trending GDPR and State Data Privacy Regulations. And what I was we so close. Yeah, you were really <laughs> close. Uh, but we, we spent a lot of time talking about GDPR because it's such a massive regulation with extraterritorial impact. Uh, but we also contrasted it in some ways to some of the regulations that are in effect or about to be in effect in the U.S. Delightful. So. I've had some really great conversations with European lawyers about how GDPR is affecting their practice. And uh, one of the key takeaways for me from those conversations were protecting the individual citizens of our countries. And so that's just a, another thing we have to do and we're jumping through that hoop. That's what it's all about. But that's the European regulation. So I know there are different, there's a different way we look at it in the US. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, I think the big thing to understand is that in the EU, data privacy is considered a fundamental human right, which is far different than the approach we take here in the U.S. when it comes to data privacy. All of us give away information without dropping an eye. You know, you think about the information you put up about yourself on social media, what may be on a law firm website, somebody asks for your cell phone number, for a business relationship, you give it without even thinking about it. We all tend to just give away information about ourselves, which puts us at risk individually. And so the GDPR looks at data privacy from an entirely different perspective. And when you think about the types of atrocities that happened during World War II, you can understand why they viewed data privacy 
as being so important and why they view it as a fundamental human right that needs to be protected. Wow, that is such a, a deep view of that and something I had, I had never would have made that connection or never would have thought of that, but that is absolutely true. I, I can see how, how well, they came to I that I mean, if you think about what happened to gypsies, to Jews, to Jehovah's Witnesses, to political dissidents during World War II, it's not surprising that people want to be able to protect information. And, you know, the thing is, um, it's not just personal information. There's information in the, there's certain types of information in the EU that you don't think two seconds about here in the U.S. Like, for example, the, the example I gave is that in college and in law school, I was a card-carrying member of Local 4, the laborers' union in Chicago. That's how I put myself through law school and college. But in the EU, membership in a trade union is considered highly sensitive information. Political beliefs, philosophical beliefs, union membership, racial or ethnic origin, all of that information is considered highly sensitive and has to be protected even more so than normal personal information about anyone. So they, they, they come at this whole concept from an entirely different perspective than here in the U.S. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so, much, so many of our regulations are based around the concept of security and preventing data breaches as opposed to, you know, how does this affect the individual whose data we're really talking about? Yeah. And there's also the, the really interesting question of, do Americans even really care? And, you know, things may be changing, uh, you know, in that direction, but we don't know that yet. It's an interesting paradox between uh, privacy and convenience in the U.S., where we like some of the, uh, the benefits of companies being able to look at our data, aggregate lots of data about us, and then present us with shopping opportunities or other types of conveniences in our, that could make our life easier, uh, but without really thinking of how they were able to derive that information about us. Uh, and then, so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out in the U.S. and then having, having an EU regulation that you know, arguably is effective in many ways to, to U.S. companies and U.S. businesses uh, will be an interesting little twist on the whole analysis. Yes, completely. I mean, one point that I, I make from time to time is even if you've never been on Facebook, never had a Facebook profile, Facebook probably knows more about you than your mother just because of the way they collect information. You know, with app developers sharing information with Facebook, you know, you take a look at the, you know, what you have downloaded on your phone for convenience purposes and look at what information it collects about you and figure out where it goes and who's it's being shared with. And it's going to a lot of resellers of information and it ends up going to a lot of yeah. social media companies and targeted advertisers. Yeah. I think Americans are just starting to realize that that type of data about them themselves is worth money. And if you're, if you're um, a high net worth individual in the United States, uh, you know, who is shopping for luxury cars and luxury homes, your data is worth even more 
because they're able to sell it to the luxury brands so they can target you. Mm -hmm. And so I think as, as our collective knowledge grows about how valuable that data is, we might be concerned about, well, in the first instance, who owns that data? Does Facebook own the data? Does Google own the data? Or do I own my own data? And, and what are you doing with it? And why are you making so much money off of my data? Yeah, I think there is probably no real off the grid anymore, it sounds like. There's just, with all of the documentation for government agencies getting scanned and uploaded online and accessing that, you know, even if you don't have, like you mentioned, Steve, don't have Facebook, don't have any of those online profiles, there's still so much information that's out there about you. So, that brings me to my next question. I know you talked about understanding what you're subject to with GDPR for as a business or as a law firm. And so as the flipping the coin from not just the consumer, but also as a um, onto the business side of things, what is it that you have to consider as a US-based law firm? So you think, I'm not subject to any of these guidelines. I don't have to worry about any of this stuff. I don't have any clients in Europe. Is that true? I already know the answer. <laughs> well, there's two, what I call two jurisdictional hooks to the GDPR that could make you subject to it. One is what they call the establishment prong. Are you established in the EU? And it doesn't take a lot to be established there. You could have a single employee there uh, and potentially be established there if you have real economic activity, even minimal, through a stable arrangement. And that's the test about being established. But even if you're not established in the EU, if you don't have an office there, you don't have any employees there, if you offer goods or services to individuals in the EU, then you're potentially subject to the GDPR. So mere website accessibility is not enough, but if you're actually offering goods and services there, the example I give is you know, a small widget manufacturer in the middle of Illinois. Five employees, but their widgets happen to be really popular over in the EU. The minute they start selling those widgets to the EU, even though they've never stepped foot in any country in Europe, they're subject to the GDPR. What about, and it's the same for law firms. What about a complex, or I guess uh, one layer of complexity added onto that? What if you're just a law firm that happens to get your intake form is filled out by someone in Europe, um, say you're a personal injury lawyer and your EU citizen comes to the US, goes on vacation, has a slip and fall incident, and then contacts you to say, hey, I need an American lawyer, but I live here. What about a situation like that? Well, the targeting prong applies to individuals who are in the EU. So are you offering goods or services to individuals in the EU, irrespective of their nationality? So you could have a U.S. citizen in the EU, and if you're offering goods or services or monitoring their behavior while they are in the EU, you're subject to the GDPR. On the flip side of that, you've got, a uh, let's say, a German national now living in the U.S., and they're injured here in the U.S. and they want you to represent them in connection with an accident that happened here in the U.S. and the lawsuit's going to be filed here in the U.S., GDPR doesn't apply. Right. Now, if you were to, you know, have a great, a great 
client experience, you know, with that circumstance, and then you start targeting German residents saying, you know, when you come to the U.S., you know, if something bad happens to you, you may be triggering that, that other prong of GDPR, but that's, that would be kind of a difficult thing to do. But if somebody comes here to you, uh, you know, the, under those circumstances, that alone wouldn't do it. Another thing to remember is that it only applies to personal data, so that's human beings. So if you're only getting like corporate data, you know, business data, that doesn't relate to individuals, then you're probably not triggering any, any responsibilities under GDPR. Uh, but I will caution you to think about, you get corporate data, but you're going to have business contacts who if, are going to send you that corporate data if you and have that, that yeah. business contact information is subject to the GDPR. Very tricky. So many different things to know. So if somebody does have questions and wants to try to get a hold of either of you after this, um, how can they reach you? They could either uh, give me a call, 312-704-3243, or shoot me an email, which is S Pushes, common spelling, no, I joke, S. <laughs> P-U-I-S-Z-I-S, -I -I and that's a Z as opposed to a C, at HinshawLaw.com. I think the best way to reach me is go on my website, JudySelbyConsulting.com, and there's a, there's a contact me uh, thing there, so you could just reach out that way. That's probably the easiest way. And Fabulous. I'm on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a very good way to reach me as well. Great. Well, we've reached the end of the road for today's episode. I want to thank our guests for joining us today. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you, Judy. We also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe, rate, and review us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting app. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.